Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Okay, so we are living the gospel, living the gospel as we go through the book of Galatians. We are going to be spending the better part of the next three months in this series. We've got a little bit of a break in the middle with Father's Day and some interns preaching. It's going to be some fun. Yeah, come on, come on. But we're going to be spending the better part of the next three months patiently going through the book of Galatians. I can't wait. We've got a great group of preachers coming in. Ash Littleford preaching next week. 10 and 4, as far as we know, 10 and 4. But, and uh, I cannot wait to have Ash preach. You're going to love how she brings the gospel to light um, through her preaching. You're going to love that. But we're going to be going that, through that for some time. Now, why are we doing that? Because we've got to understand what the gospel means. And Galatians, more than any other book, points simply and succinctly to that idea. What is the gospel and what does that mean for our life? What is the gospel and what does that mean? Now, in reality, it's not really a book. When we talk about a book of the Bible, we're actually not talking about books at all. We're talking about letters in this case or histories or poetry. The Bible is made up of different genres. And Galatians is not a book. It's a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. And at the heart of that question is this question, what is the gospel? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Or if you hear you're a follower of Jesus and you just use the term gospel without really thinking about it, like so many of us before. But it's a pretty loaded question because the word gospel gets really loaded. When we use it, we use it for authority purposes. We use it to say it's the gospel truth. Or even like we use it as an adjective. It's really a noun, but we use it like, uh, you know, the gospel truth or, you know, that's, that's not gospel. You know, you, you gotta, it's a gospel witness. When a Christian uses that, you can be certain they're trying to give their words extra weight, extra authority. So we've got to know, what does the gospel actually mean? Because church, you've got to ask that question. It's at the center of who we are as Christians. Being a Christian is not about going to church. It's not about ticking a box on a census, even though, yes, please go to church. And yes, please tick that box on the census. But that's not what being a Christian is about. The Christian is about being people of the gospel, which means if we don't know what is the gospel, we're in some trouble, aren't we? So what does that mean for you and how you live your life? That's what we're going to be unpacking. And we're going to unpack that here at church, but we're going to unpack it in life groups as well, because we believe in the power of big church and small church, big community and intimate community. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group yet, would you come and have a chat to myself or Pastor Jen or Tex, who you saw him up emptying, who heads up our life groups. And we would love to get you connected in with a group of people who you can travel together, do life with together and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus together. It's very, very powerful. So let me start talking about um, my dad crying. Let's talk about that. I've seen my father cry twice in his life. He is uh, in his 70s. He's a man of a certain age and a certain generation. And he, he just doesn't really cry. In fact, if I'm being honest, before I became a Christian, I didn't really cry either. I didn't know that it happened. Now I cry all the time. I'm pathetic. You know, I cried in the fold in our stars. I was so mad. I was, I was so mad at myself too. I'm like, oh, this isn't even that good. But you just hit all the right notes at the right time. I'm so mad. I've been manipulated. 
but there they were running down my face. I cried in a few good men. I was sick that day, in fairness. But, you know, it was impactful. I couldn't handle the truth. But my dad's only cried twice in his life that I'm aware of, that I've seen. The first is when my grandmother, his mum, died. And that was his last parent to pass away. And it wasn't when he got the news and it wasn't at the funeral. It was actually as we drove to go shopping, which was a rhythm we did with my grandma every Saturday morning. And we got in the car and we went down the way where we would go to pick her up. And it just hit him. It just hit him in that moment. He was talking to me and he just crumpled and started to cry as he was driving. It it was a bad news moment. The bad news had just hit him and processed and he he began to weep. And, And it was really jarring actually for the first time. Then many, many years later, Christmas Day 2007, he cried for the second time that I've ever seen. But this time it's different. This time we'd given him a Christmas present. It was a photo frame. And in that photo frame was a sort of black and greeny grey sort of image. And it was a bit strange. It had some writing on the bottom. And he was staring at it like, what is this? And he read the writing on the bottom. And he realised, of course, that it was a pregnancy scan. That Jen was 12 weeks pregnant with Grace. And he just, and he started to cry. And I just, I just wonder if this is a guy who, you know, grew up longing for a family, had to adopt a child, and, and now seeing he's had grandchildren coming in, that's, that's a powerful moment. See, one was about bad news, one was about good news, but the news was so powerful that it transformed him both times. And when we talk about the gospel and we ask, what is the gospel? That's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. It's not bad news. It's not good advice. It's good news. It is good and it happened. And that is what we've got to understand. The gospel is good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for the world. And that's the message of Galatians. Good news for you. So let's give a bit of background to Galatians. Because as I mentioned already, and you got to have this the first week, okay? So if you like history, lean in. If you don't, I'm sorry. You just need this to get some context. As I mentioned already, it's not really a book so much as it's a letter. The Bible is composed of of letters and writings. And uh, and so the Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul to churches in the region of Galatia. Now, there's going to be a map up behind me, I think. And and, um, Paul was involved in planting a lot of these churches. Now, forgive the super purpley vibe of the the, uh, projector today. But... Paul was involved, see this sort of orangey, well, it's purple, isn't it? Everything's purple. But the sort of more orangey region up here called Galatia, that's the region where Paul planted a lot of churches. He started a missionary journey. Uh, and so now, by the way, that's Turkey. That's Western Turkey. And in fact, the capital city of Turkey, Ankara, is in Galatia. It's in that region. And so in Acts 13 to 14, we see Paul and his companions, Barnabas and John Mark, and probably uh, Luke as well, traveling from Syrian Antioch. If you see over there on the right, Antioch in Syria, they travel down to Cyprus. They're there on the island for a while. And then they travel up to Perga and begin their journey through the region of southern Galatia. They first go to a city called Pisidian Antioch where they preach to the Jews, and, and you can see Pisidian Antioch there, sort of the northernmost uh, city on the map mentioned. They preach to the Jews in the synagogue, and then to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, a week later. They see many of them converted to being followers of Jesus, and then the Jewish leaders stir up trouble against them, and they're forced to leave, which, by the way, is pretty much how Paul did all his ministry. Preachers seize conversion, Jewish people stir up trouble, he has to leave. What I, and and uh, then onwards to Galatia they go further into a town called Iconium next. 
So you can see the sort of southeast of that. They go to Iconium where they make many converts before they flee for their lives yet again. They travel down to Lystra where they heal a crippled man. And so the people there believe that they are Greek gods. They call uh, Paul Hermes and they call Barnabas Zeus and they start trying to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas are horrified and try to convince them not to. doesn't work heaps well. End of the day, though, it ends much the same as it always does with people stoning Paul to death and dragging his body outside the city. The disciples gather around him pray over him, heal and restore him to life. And they go back into the city because Paul is a gangster. <laughs> then they go further on into the town of Derby where they win many disciples. That was a place of a lot of conversions. And then they return back the way they came. And this is what it says in the Scriptures. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. That's Acts 14, 22. And this all happened, oh, they appoint elders in new churches. They pray, they fast, and they commit them all to God. Now, this all happened in southern Galatia around 47 to 48 AD. And all of these travels probably took less than a year. So by the time Paul and Barnabas had finished doing all that, they needed to go back to Antioch in Syria where there was a huge Christian base. Arguably, the biggest group of Christians in all the world at the time was in Syrian Antioch. So they went back to Antioch. And by the time they get back there, Galatia was already messed up. They just got about, they planted all these churches. Six months later, they were heresies. Just welcome to the church planting life. This is, what, this is what happens. The closest we had is Jared shaved his beard off. That was probably the worst heresy we had. And thankfully, it hasn't happened since. We got on that pretty quickly. So Paul writes this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. We think around 48 AD, it's, it's probably the first letter he writes. He's certainly writing it to all the churches in the lower region of that map and possibly to towns and, and churches that have been planted by Galatian believers as they move further north into the northern region of Galatia as well. We don't know. What we do know is that he was writing to encourage them to stay close to the gospel. But what is far more important than the who of who he wrote to is, is what? is that what of staying close to the gospel. So let's jump into Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. If you've got your scriptures with you, if you've got the Bible, why don't you open it up? If you've got it on your phone, download the Bible app, jump into it with us. We're going to be going through those first 10 verses and asking ourselves that at the start of this important letter, what are the key things we need to learn that Paul's trying to teach us about the gospel? And there are three key points. So if you're the note-taking type, now's the time to start writing down your notes. The first key point that needs to be addressed is apostolic authority. Apostolic authority. Now, in the New Testament times, an apostle was originally somebody who would have been appointed by Jesus himself. And later this became a more general definition for people who had a, a sort of pioneering type ministry, a called out ministry. We hear about it as a leadership gift in Ephesians chapter 4. But what we're talking about here is a capital A apostle that is one of those to whom Jesus had personally said, you are my disciple. I'm inviting you on this journey to be called out to follow me. And because Jesus has done that, he bestows his authority on them. And you may remember in Matthew chapter 28, he gathers his apostles at the end before he ascends. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, and in that, therefore go, is implied with my authority. Making disciples throughout all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's the authority of God going with them. Now you think of an ambassador. They don't have any authority on their own. But when they travel, they have the authority of the nation they represent. 
the authority of the government, the authority of the ruling party. So an apostle is a personal ambassador from King Jesus. Not bad. Not a bad, not a bad thing. So Paul begins every one of his letters, if you read the New Testament, in basically the exact same way. So if you've got it in front of you, he says this. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm called by God's will. Then he mentions who's with him. So he says from, from Barnabas or whoever's with him. And then he goes on to talk about who he's writing to, to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You look through all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, they basically start the exact same way. He says the same things. He's extending the same sort of grace. He's affirming his credibility and off he goes. Except in Galatians. In Galatians, he adds a little extra source. In fact, he only gets three words in before he switches it up. Paul, an apostle. All right, hold up. Let me just go on a tangent. Not from man, not by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, by the way, from the dead. Thank you very much. Ever heard of it? He's just really pressing into this idea of apostolic authority. I'm an apostle, he says, capital A. I wasn't given this title by humans, but by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And by the way, from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. This is what's called, kids, a power move. It's like when you deliberately call someone by the wrong name, you know, in order to have one-upmanship over. Like Jesus did to Simon when he called him Peter. Same sort of thing. That's not, that's not why Jesus renamed him. I'm just kidding. But classic power move. Paul is declaring his authority more firmly than he does at any other time, in any other letter. And we should ask ourselves, why? If he doesn't do it all the time, there's a reason he's doing it now. Because Paul started these churches in Galatia, these fledgling little church communities. He got them going. He sowed into them. He began teaching them what it meant to follow Jesus, what the gospel was. He gathered the people. He appointed elders. He prayed over them and he left and he kept planting churches because that's what he did. But when they moved away from the gospel, it killed him. It broke his heart. And so he writes to them, trying to not only tell them what the gospel is, but telling them why they should listen to him. I'm a capital A apostle. These false teachers have crept in and they're challenging Paul's authority. And Paul, I think, you know, he doesn't love that. You see that in some other letters. He doesn't love his authority being challenged. But what he particularly hates is they're changing the gospel itself. Now, I want you to know, and they're saying, by the way, that they have authority to teach because they learned at the feet of Peter and James in Jerusalem, who were disciples, who were apostles, capital A. Whereas Paul, well, he wasn't one of the first 12. And Paul's like, all right, well, did you get blinded on the road to Damascus? Did you have a vision where scales crept over your eyes and someone had to pray and heal you and you miraculously got converted? Didn't think so. It would be as if someone went to acting classes for three months and they were at the school of Matt Damon, right? Matt Damon, what a legend. They're at the school of Matt Damon and they're learning all these things at the feet of Matt Damon for three months. And then they go traveling and they go to a different acting school in another city. But in this city, they've been trained by Denzel Washington. And so they're at the school of Denzel Washington and these guys say, oh, you've only been trained by Denzel. Okay, okay, okay. Well, King Kong ain't got nothing on you, but you, you, you haven't... You haven't worked this out right. No, it's, yeah, you're an actor for sure. Yeah, no, totally. It's adorable. But you actually need to be trained by Matt Damon to genuinely understand acting, to really, to really be an actor. That's, that's, if you imagine that. Now, this sounds ridiculous because it is. 
first you'd be wondering, okay, who is genuinely the better actor? Who's genuinely the better coach? How do you know? How do you know who's got more credibility? What, do, you, do you count Oscars? Do you, do you count budget, like how much money they've brought in? Do you count evangelism? Do you count converts? Do you count church supplanted? How do you work this out? And then you might quietly wonder, why, why is it the person of that race that we have to listen to and not the, this one? You might quietly wonder, why that comparison? That's because there's racism involved here. There is actually racism involved in Paul's counterattack back to the Galatians. He is saying to them, you are being racist and you don't even know it. And, it, and they're very, very confused because they're actually the recipients of the racism. Let me get to that in a minute. But that is part of what's going on here. So Paul's counter to this is clear. No man made me an apostle. Jesus did it. So when these other supposed apostles come, ask yourself this question. Who do you trust to tell you the truth? Good question for us today, church. Who do you trust to tell you the truth? Because I found for me, the more I read news and go to news sources, the less I trust them. The less news sites, the less websites, the less papers I trust. I've almost zero trust in them. We're in any era of fake news and clickbait and influencers and targeted advertising. So I struggle to know who to trust if I don't know them already. But in theology, I have people I trust. I have people like N.T. Wright and Timothy Keller, who you'll probably hear me quote every single week as we go through this, uh, uh, this uh, letter to the Galatians. I have people like John Tyson, who I trust his teaching and his spiritual authority. And then I've got people who I've sat under as pastors, people like Steph and Andy Hogarth, people like Roger Brooke, people like the Rev Brant Jones, who I believe will return to Adelaide at some point. Uh, if, you, if you're watching, Brant, come home. We miss you. <laughs> You know, in 2021, would be great. I trust these people. I trust what they bring because I've sat underneath their teaching. I know the content of their character as well as the content of their content. And so when I listen to them, I can trust them. Whereas now, my great fear for the current generation, the under 30 generation, right? My great fear is that when you are looking for authority, instead of turning to the Scriptures, instead of turning to the pastors and elders of your church who you worship in and sit under, you go on YouTube and TikTok. And, and it's, it's a genuine danger, that this becomes the place where you get your authority. That's not to say YouTube or TikTok are in and of themselves bad. I don't care. That's, it's not about that. It is about where do you get your credibility? Where do you search for truth? Just imagine, we've just got these interns. We prayed over them today. They go through with us for a full year, week after week. They're sitting at our feet. They're listening. They're giving us the amen. They're giving us the Jeremy DeLima patented wow so goods. They're, give, they're, they're giving us all the responsiveness. He's a culture setter. Give me some more wow so goods out here in the audience. Come on. That is so good. This is how it spreads. It would be like they do that for a full year. And then as soon as they step out of internship at the end of the year, they're like, oh, there's this one guy on YouTube I watched though who had an interesting idea. I don't know. I didn't read the Bible to compare, but seems legit. This isn't a joke. This is how we obtain our theology because we trust outside sources more. You've got to ask yourself, who do you trust and why? How, if, and if you're a person who's a member of this congregation, this is not the reason we're doing this preaching, but I want to encourage you, if you have a theological wrestle, bring it to us, not to the Google search bar, right? 
Don't bring it to a search engine. Bring it to us. Bring it to your life group. Work it out together. Because if you're asking a question, somebody else is too. And you've got to work that out together as the people of God. That's our job. Our job isn't to go to YouTube or TikTok and get them to do that for us. If they can do it for you in 15 seconds, then you haven't really got it. That's what I would say. Okay. You might be asking, how do I know I can trust you and Jen or Paul well? I'll get to that. Here's the second point. Paul, as he continues his introduction, not only says grace and peace like normal, but he outlines something critically important in verse 4. He says, From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul summarises briefly the very centre of the gospel. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot over the next few months, so I just want to go through it really, really quickly. This is what he goes through. A few dot points in this gospel. Number one, we have something we need rescuing from. They'll be up on the screen behind you. This present evil age, Paul says, but what makes it evil? Our sin. Our sin. The human desire to rebel against God and put ourselves in God's position, to be lords over our own life, to control our lives. That's what makes it an evil age. That's what's made every age from the fall of man down to now an evil age in that we are wanting to be little gods. So we have something we need rescuing from. And if you've never stepped into church before, I recognize that this is confronting. And usually what happens is when we're in a large group of people, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. We got dressed and out of the house this morning. It's a good day. We're not in lockdown. But it's when we're at home by ourselves, it's late at night, and we shut down the laptop and look in the mirror and we've got to ask ourselves, am I? Am I really good? Am I intrinsically good? And I would say based on the scriptures and all of my experience and my understanding of humanity, you know you are not. You and I are sinners. We have something we need rescuing from. But here's some good news. Someone has rescued us. What rescued us? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, the crucified and resurrected one who gave himself for our sins. So we have something we need rescuing from, but we need someone who did rescue us. Now, if we're rescued from something, by definition, we have to be rescued to something. And what we are rescued to is God's new family. Now, Paul doesn't say it deliberately in this part of the letter. He says it later on. But what we're rescued to is new life in the family of God. Through Jesus, God is creating a new family that is bigger than any one country, bigger than any ethnic group, better than, bigger than any age range or generation. It is all people who say yes to Jesus. And this is point four, that we are only saved into this family by the grace of God. And we are only made right with God by our faith in Jesus as Lord. Amen. Full stop, end of sentence. Now that's a lot of theology to summarise quickly, but we'll unpack that a lot more over the next eight to 10 weeks. I don't want to take all the good bits away from our preachers. But the biggest thing you want to take away from these points is this. Galatians is the letter that teaches us that we are justified by faith in Jesus as Lord. When we believe in Jesus as Lord, we are justified by that faith in God's eyes. Nothing else. Final point. That brings me to my final point, which is that there is one true gospel. This is the most important part of these verses for Paul. He's pointing to this idea there is only one true gospel because we don't need to worry about the idea of false teaching if all teaching points to the same place. Now, I do want to just give a quick sidebar to say, 
sometimes we talk about false teaching to get mad at things we don't like as opposed to things that aren't true. Or we talk about things that are, instead of being the gospel, are maybe some of the fruits of the gospel, the outworkings of the gospel. So, for example, when I preached earlier this year on science and religion, I talked about the creation narratives, and I suggested there were four possible ways that I thought were legitimate to interpret them. Some people would listen to that and go, that's false teaching. I go, well, you can say that if you want, but it's actually not affecting the gospel, what I'm talking about. I'm saying that I think there are four different ways you can interpret that, and I'm, I'm going to leave that to our church to interpret them with wisdom and through, obviously, the Scripture, not just what we want to believe. But some people would say that's false teaching, and then you go the other way. You know, People love to use the phrase false teaching. When we're talking about false teaching, we are specifically talking about the distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, what is presented as the gospel is being changed. Paul has seen a dangerous theology sneak into the churches into Galatia and threaten their salvation, and it is at least as bad today as it was then. This theology, it threatens your family, threatens your home, threatens your children. Are you ready? Are you ready? Circumcision. Circumcision. That's the theology that is threatening your children. These false teachers had come in bad-mouthing Paul, trying to diminish his credibility. And why? So they could preach about circumcision. Now, you might think this is a bit of a joke, or at the very least contextual, and you're not wrong. There's certainly some context involved. But this is a really serious thing. And it's not about circumcision. It's about what circumcision represents. Let me give you two things that circumcision represents. The first one is that circumcision reflects inclusion. Circumcision reflects inclusion. These teachers were Jewish Christians. I, I want you to hear that. I think sometimes we think about false teachers as if it's like the world, like it's the big bad wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. The world's out there and it's threatening us. We're, we are part of the world. It is God's good creation, okay? There, there are cultural strands that are unhelpful to us. But when we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about Christians twisting the gospel. So we're pointing at ourselves first. Let's be clear about that. So these are Jewish Christians. They believed in Jesus as Lord. It was good news to them. They also believed that you had to be Jewish first. So Jesus was for everyone now, as long as you become Jewish. So not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians have to become Jewish. Can you see the racism in there? It's very much like segregation or apartheid. It's like, yeah, of course you're human beings. Of course you're part of the family of God. You know, except we're more part of the family than you are. And if you want to really be part of the family of God, you have to become like us. Frankly, some of the language around the stolen generations is a bit like that. If you want to be right, you have to kind of be like this. So, yeah, no, no, absolutely we affirm you if you do it like we do it. If you worship like we do, if you read the same passages and interpret them in exactly the same way as we do, if you behave like we do, if you say the things we do, if you drink like we do or don't drink like we do, if you eat meat or don't eat meat like we do, we will be silently judging you from afar about the validity of your Christianity based on your behaviours. That is what these Jewish Christians were saying. And that's where this um, Damon and Denzel idea comes in, right? There's, this is about racism and exclusion, and Jesus upended this idea by saying, no, 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 no. It's not about the way you worship. It's not about the way you dress. It's not about the way you speak. I am the way. I am, in fact, the way. I am the only way to God the Father. It's not through what you do. It's through me. That's what Jesus came to say. And that was as confronting then as it is today. So now, if you trust in Jesus, you are in God's new family. End of story. 
And this is so important because if we get it wrong, it leads to the second mistake around circumcision. And that is that circumcision points to action. Because if the act of circumcision includes you in God's family, that means we have to do something. And if we have to do something, then it's got nothing to do with our faith at all and everything to do with our actions. See, that's Judaism, friends. There was a temple structure. There was a sacrifice system. There were laws to be obeyed, specifically the Torah, the law of God. The first five books of the Bible, that's the Torah. And these Jewish Christians came and updated this and they said, listen, no, 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 relax. You don't have to have that sacrifice system anymore. Jesus has paid that cost. There's no sacrifices anymore. Praise God. All you have to do is follow the law and be circumcised and believe in Jesus. And you can be a follow Jesus. And here's the thing that catches us out. We want to believe that. You and I, our preference is this Jewish Christianity, this blended Christianity. And I'll tell you why. Because when you do something that you think you're doing for God, you feel like you're justified. You feel like it's your behaviours that are getting you in good with God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I actually had a pretty good week. I was at prayer meeting every morning, 7 a.m. till 7.15 on Zoom. Link in the link tree. I was on there every morning. Uh, actually, doing really well with my devotions, just really pressing into God this week. Heard the voice of God really clearly um, and invited a friend to church. So I think, I think God loves me more this week, actually. And we get a bit self-satisfied and we get a bit self-saving. And we tell ourselves subtly, quietly over time that it's actually about our behaviours that we earn our salvation. Well, I've got good news for you. You're in good company. Every other religious system in the world says that. It's by earning that you get to God. Every other religious structure in the world says if you do things, you will earn God's approval. But only in Christ do we hear God has given you his approval through Christ. That's it. And that, friends, is the good news. That's the good news. Jesus Christ the only son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He performed miracles and healings. He taught the words of scripture. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. He went to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter to die the death we should have died after living the life we should have lived. He was crucified and was buried in the grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. See, because Jesus did it all for us, we don't have to. We have been accepted. You can't go about earning the love of God. It's impossible. You can't do anything. What are you going to do? The gap is too big. The, the chasm is too wide. That's why the, the start of a song like Living Hope says, how great the chasm that was between us. You can't cross that. Only Jesus could. He fulfilled everything so that you and I don't have to go about justifying ourselves and saying, I'm working hard. I'm trying my best. Now I'm a proper Christian. No, you're not. In fact, you're twisting the gospel. The more you go into that mindset where you say, if I'm doing the right things, now I'm a Christian. It's like, no, actually you are less a Christian now than you have been. And Paul would say this, there is no such thing as most of a gospel. 
It's either a gospel or it's not. It's like if you're in a state of vacuum. You can't go, I'm going to put a, a bit of air in there. No, that, it's no longer a vacuum state at that point. You can only be the gospel or it's not the gospel. It's either the truth of Christ or it's not. Because as soon as you add anything to it, it immediately lends itself to two things. Number one, you're justified by your works. Number two, the works that Jesus did for you are not enough for you. You diminish Christ, you raise up yourself. That is the essence of sin. That is the essence of sin. See, I think maybe if you're here and you're not, you're not used to this kind of language, you might think, oh, yeah, sin is sleeping around, right? Or, or sin is um, getting drunk on the weekends. Like, ah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yep, those are, those are kind of fruits of sin. But sin is really only one thing at its heart. It is saying that God is insufficient and therefore I must do something. So I become God. What was the first sin? It was distrust and rebellion. Did God really tell you you couldn't eat from the trees? And so Eve reaches out and takes the apple. She doesn't trust God. And all of this, the book of Galatians, the gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus, the freedom we have, all comes down to that word trust. Paul was asking the church in Galatia, don't you trust me? I brought you the gospel. I showed it to you. I raised you as spiritual infants. And then he says, don't you trust God? Because the gospel that these teachers are bringing you is forcing you into a slavery, which says unless you are circumcised, unless you do the right things, you'll never be right with God. That means all the burden of sin and shame and guilt and anxiety and the feelings we get when we feel like we're not measuring up are back on us. If you've ever felt burdened or broken by the weight of sin and shame and anxiety and guilt, then that is because you haven't let the gospel free you. Jesus is here to say, I have done it. And that is why Paul is so harsh at the start of this letter. He goes, let a curse be upon those people. Why? because they are twisting people away from God. Not only are they diminishing who God is through Christ, but they are burdening themselves in a way they can't possibly live up to. See, the gospel, friends, is good news for you of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And if we twist it, not only, not only do we ruin our everlasting life with God, we ruin our life here and now. Because the gospel is not just about going to heaven when you die. It is about living life to the full right now. Yeah. And the truth of the gospel is when you step into the freedom that only Christ brings from His all-sufficient sacrifice, not yours, not your actions, not mine. I don't come up here holy. I come up here as a sinner. Only then when we lay ourselves down and say, I don't have anything. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian and preacher said this, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> I am slightly gentler than Jonathan Edwards. And I would say this, there is one more thing you bring and that is the decision to believe in it or not. That is the agency, that is the free will God has given us to say, do I believe in this or not? Jonathan Edwards is basically right. You don't rock a wig like that without a bit of confidence. But we contribute the choice. And so the choice is before you. Do you want to walk in the light of the gospel? And that we say the light because you walk in the light because you aren't the light. 
the light is shining for you from Christ. So you walk in that light from the good news that someone has purchased for you on your behalf. Church, the invitation of God today is simple. Is that what you want? Or do you want to keep doing your own thing? Which not, is not just about this, the stupid behaviours that end up at the fruit of this. It's the decision to say, actually, I don't trust God. I, I, I guess end of the day, even though I know what the Bible says, I don't trust that God has my best interests at heart. Maybe online church, you're there today and, and that's what you're wrestling with. You're like, I, I believe in God, but I don't trust Him. So I believe that I'm saved if I'm at church every week. That's why I'm tuning in today. Or maybe you say, oh, I, I believe in God. I just don't trust His plan is best for me. So that's why I don't go to church regularly because it's not a big deal. You don't have to. And I guess I also don't really read my Bible regularly either because you know, I'm saved by grace. So nothing matters. And these are these two errors we fall into, church. God's here right now. He's asking you the question through His Holy Spirit whispering to you in your heart. Is Jesus Christ your Lord or isn't He? Is the gospel truly good news or are you desperate to add something to it? Why don't we pray today? This is heavy stuff, I know. I know. It feels strong because it is. It has to be. Anything else and we're telling ourselves we are our own Saviour. So I want to invite you this morning Encounter Church, 11 a.m., one service, online, in person. We are one family. Whether you have Jewish heritage, which means you are the family of God to begin with, or whether like me and most of us here, you're Gentiles, which means you are grafted in, invited in. You, every single one of you has been saved by the grace of God and nothing else. So here's my invitation for you today. Will you step into the gospel again? Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads and we're going to pray. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.